The message you are about to hear was preached at Gosum Africa 2019. Justification by grace through faith. Stay tuned. So we can overflow with purpose in mind. You say to us. Galatians 4 verse 4. The Bible says, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. To redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So, when was Jesus born? Grace or law? Absolutely. It's very, very important you remember that. So, you must remember that most of Jesus' ministry was under the law. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is very, very important. Most of Jesus' ministry took place under the law. And Jesus did not come to break the law, rather to fulfill it. Do you understand that? He said that himself. He came to fulfill the law. Now, so given that understanding, let's now go to Luke chapter 5. Let's look at this miracle. Luke chapter 5. Uh, let's start from verse 1. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And as he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. Again, when did this happen? Under the law or under grace? It's very important you remember that. So under the law, he did this miracle whereby Peter launched his net into the water according to the word of Jesus. And when they came out, when he brought the net up, he caught many fish, but the Bible says the net was breaking. What's the implication of a broken net for a fisherman? Good. Last. Last. That's very important. Yes, you got it. If the net broke, the fish will escape. They are lost. But when did it happen? Under the law. You have to remember that. Every time you read anything, Jesus, you must ask yourself, when did this happen? Because if you miss that timing, you come to a different interpretation. This same Jesus... The same miracle, John 21. John chapter 21. Verse 4. Now, what had happened in John 21? Are we under the law or under grace in John 21? Very good answer. Why are you under grace now? He has died and resurrected. Very, very important. 
Now, I'm sharing this because I want you guys to understand how to unlock scriptures. So now, it's about to do the exact same thing it did Luke 5. Exact same thing. John 21, verse 4. But when morning had now come, Jesus stood at the sh on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Let's read on. Verse 11. Verse 11. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish. 153. Look at the emphasis. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Do you see the difference? Under the law, they could be lost. The fish could be lost. Under grace, the Bible says they were large fish. It defined it. 153. We were not told the number under Luke chapter 5. John 21, the number was given. And they say, even though it was so many, the net did not break. Do you need to keep on arguing about one saved while you're saved? For how long are we going to argue that? It's in the Bible. You just saw it. Luke chapter 5, under the law, they were lost. John 21, under grace, none was lost. Ah, my African brothers, again, I can see your faces. Hey, God help you guys, man. In Jesus' name. <laughs> you guys will argue with God. If you guys had the key to heaven, you will lock many people out of heaven. <laughs> no, but Africa is special. <laughs> Africans have a romance with sin. No, it's the truth. I've, I've, I've preached here in Asia, I've preached here, I've preached in Asia, I've preached in the United States, but I noticed the Africans. There is something about us and sin. We have a romance with it. Ah, sin. Ah, we are so sin conscious. We, we almost hate sin more than God. I mean, can it get any clearer? One more scripture. One more. And I'm going to leave this situation forever. I'm not, I'm, whenever I come back here, I'm not addressing this again. No, seriously. Because I can't, be, I can't keep on repeating myself over and over and over because people just want to fight with the word of God. Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Ah, Luke chapter 15, verse, no, I, I don't really have time to go into, verse, uh, verse 4, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, okay, so for you English scholars, what's the subject, is it the sheep or the man, the man, the man, what man of you? Having a hundredship. Okay. Verse 8. Or what woman having ten silver coins? 
Who's the, who's the subject? The woman or the coins? Absolutely. Very, very correct. You guys are wonderful students. <laughs> now go to verse 11. A certain man had two sons. What's the subject? The man or the two sons? Of course, a certain man. But isn't it amazing? All of our Sunday school days, all of our teaching days, we only focus on the prodigal son. We focus on the one that's not supposed to be the subject matter. Most of our teaching is focused on one of the two sons, not a certain man. And the reason Jesus gave the story is to tell you the nature of the certain man. So you can have an understanding of this certain man who really, in fact, is equivalent to the father. You know the story. The younger child comes and says, Father, give me, divide to me, the portion of inheritance that belongs to me. Something he has no right to. Because the father was not dead. A will is never executed until the testator dies. This boy comes in the confidence of his sonship. He was naive. He knows no better. I'm a son. I'm entitled to it. Give it to me. And the father said, you got it. Even though the father knew that it was squander and wasted, he still gave it to him. Okay, I'll leave that alone. He took it, wasted it. He was lavishing away in farming among pigs. And then he came to a realization. In my father's house, Abba, even the servants get better treatment. So instead of me sitting out here and lavishing and perishing, I will arise and go to my father. Now, let me ask you the question. What do you think prompted this boy to think that he can go back to the father and be received? The love of his father. He had enough recognition that, you know what? I know I've blown it, I've messed up, but my father's love is bigger than my mess up. <laughs> That's our problem. You are focusing so much on your mess up, you cannot see the largeness of your father's love. That's why God said about David in Acts 13, 22, I know a son of Jesse, a man after my heart. What he's saying is, I appreciate the confidence that David has in my love. That when he blows it, it will not run from me, it will run to me. I love it. I'd rather have my son who's messed up come to me than go out in the street. <laughs> God said, this boy, I know you are a mess, you are a work to be done, but I love you anyhow because you understand that my love is so encompassing. That's why Paul said that you and I should be, in, you should be established in the height, the breadth, the width, and the height of God's love that surpasses knowledge. Before you go here, he loved you. Before you were a thought in your father's and mother's heart, God already loves you. From eternity to eternity, he loves you. His love for you, the width of it, Abba. We cannot describe it. 
the depth of it. For you to understand the depth of his love, go and read Jonah. A man who heard the voice of God clearly and chose to disobey it. Go to Nineveh. He said, no, I'll go to Tashish. He did not know that the God that was in Nineveh is also in Tashish. Found himself in the depth or the bottom of the sea. That's where sin takes you. It takes you to the depth, bottom of the sea. Ah, Paul says we should understand the depth of God's love. Even in that depth of the bottom of the sea, his love is there. <laughs> Jonah was in the belly. Or in the depth of the sea, God was there to scoop him up. What are you telling me? So this prodigal son, as we call him, which I think is the wrong, really, it's, it's, I wrote a book. I call it the prodigal God. Because the story is not about the boy. It's about God. The extravagance, scandalous love of God is what Luke 15 reveals. The boy said, listen, why should I love this year? I must arise. And then maybe he got in some, in some, into some of your, he got one of your tapes where you told him because he's sin, he's no longer his son. He said, I will arise and go to my father and tell you I'm no longer worthy to be a son. Make me as one of your higher servants. He's listen to some of you guys, some of you bishops. I've to, told the boy that because he's sin, he's no longer a son. His theology was messed up now. He had his script written. I will go to my father. And I will just tell him, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Who told him he was not worthy? Religion. 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 I will say to him, I'm no longer worthy. Make me one of your servants. He got there, actually made those pronouncements. Please read it yourself. The father totally ignored it. Get him a robe. Put him on him. The best robe, he says. Where is, do you see a robe? Jacob placed one on Joseph. <laughs> Isaiah talks to us about the robes of righteousness. In other words, if you are confused about your identity, let me place a robe on you. So that from now and forever, you will forever know that you are righteous because I made you so, not because of what you have done. In case the robe was not sufficient, place a ring on his finger. The sign of my covenant. Never ending covenant. As long as he wears the ring, it's remembered. He remembers that what God has done is permanent. Your behavior will not change God. Understand that. Now, you will pay the consequences for your wrong behaviors. Those consequences are temporal. Temporal meaning it happens here on earth. You must understand that. There's a consequence for what we do. Yes. But those things do not change God. What do, what do you think God is? Okay, okay, okay. Hear your theology. Hear your the hear how stupid this theology is. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. Not the church, oh. You didn't hear what I just said. Yes. He loved the world that is not born again. The world. What are the world doing? Fornicating, adultery, lying, murdering. 
And he loved them. Can you see that? The Bible did not say, for God so loved the church. For God so loved the world. Why we were a sinner, yet Christ died for the who? Ungodly. Not for the church. Now you're going to tell me that as a child of God, because I did something, now God just lifts his grace, he doesn't love me anymore. You're an infantile Christian, if you think like that. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm passionate about it because it's an insult to God and what he has done. The boy returns home. He's speaking the law. I'm no longer worthy. I'm a, he's speaking the law. And the father totally ignores him. Did not give him one answer about what he said. Instead, he showered him with love. Robe, ring, father calf, sandals in his feet. Let's have a party. Do you see what I told you earlier? God is having a party. Oh, you, you, guys, you guys didn't read that part. When the, sheep, when the man lost the sheep, he brought it back, there was a party. The woman lost his coin, brought it back, there was a party. Listen to me. God is the most partying God I've, is the most partying person I've ever seen. I know, I know your religion can't take it. I, I, you, you guys are having a heart attack. Ah, you guys are about to have a heart attack. Yeah, I can see it. God, a party? Yeah. Seven times, you Israel, you must have a feast. Seven times in the year. How many parties do you have? You have one at Christmas. You have New Year's. You say you have seven times in a year. God said, Israel, come before me. We have the party. Seven times. And if somebody gets born again, you, 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 you put a yoke on their neck. You can't wear trousers. You can't wear t-shirt. You can't wear this. You must wear cover, cover your head. Cover your this. Cover that. Cover that. Cover that. Move like this. Wear, wear, wear boots. Alibaba boots. Go, don't do that. Crazy stuff. Ah! People, 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 they had their life before they become Christians. They become Christians. We kill them. We put them in bondage. And that's why the world says, nope, I don't want this. I want Jesus, but I don't want Christianity. Big difference. And the reason is because many of us in this room, God brings them to us, we kill them. We kill them completely. We make them twice the child of the devil. I'm sorry. So, I've established this once and for all. I'm not going back there. If you believe that you can be saved and lost tomorrow, fine. I mean, that's, I mean you, you are entitled to your own belief. But I believe I've adequately from Scripture showed you that we believed wrong. Yeah. Many of us are still living in our court. We're sin and sacrifice is a primary activity. So we are totally sin conscious. And if you are sin conscious, yes, you feel like that, and uh, you, you just keep on, that, your thinking will be just, no, you need to be Christ focused. Christ focused. Total different, total different paradigm. Amen? Amen? Good. Now let me go to the second lesson. I just thought I needed to, to establish that quickly. 
because it just generates too many unnecessary questions. Yeah. Page 12. The gospel of the grace of God. So I said to you at the beginning that uh, the goal of persuasive speaking or teaching is to instruct, to inspire, and to move the audience to a decision to become involved. Doing so involves three pillars of ethos, from which the word ethics come, which describes the messenger, pathos, which describes the passion of the messenger, and finally logos, which describes the content of the message. So now, in the first lesson this morning, we address the ethos and the pathos. The life of Paul and the passion of Paul. And so now we want to begin to start dealing with his logos, the content of his message. Paul's message was very simple. Freedom through grace. Freedom through grace. And I'm telling you, when we began to make that transition in church, oh, how many years ago now? Four, five years ago? Five years, okay. We started by, interestingly, this, this is amazing. This is what I'm telling you, that even from last year, I have grown. And I know that. Because when we began to make this transition for us in Atlanta, it was the book of John. We studied, how long was it? 23 weeks? 21 days. 21 days, the book of John. Okay? And just through John, we began to see, ah, there's a lot more in this redemption from what we've already known. And like I said to you last year, when you truly embrace this message, the gospel of the grace of God, it should change your personal life, how you relate with your wife, with your children, with your co-workers, with your congregation, people around you. They should know that something has happened to you. If they don't know it, if nobody knows it, I'm sorry, you have not changed. They should know. And as a congregation, the prayer you pray in the church and the songs you sing, must be, it must change. That's the amazing thing. Many of us say we are great certified. We are still singing songs of, of Babylon. Songs of bondage. Songs of unbelief. Come on me. Anointing. Come on me. Fall on me. Which anointing? It's already falling. You're asking anointing that's already falling to fall on you. God will say, ah, what kind of madman is this? This people insane. I sent, no, I didn't even ask him, but he came in person, the Holy Ghost, and yeah, I tell him to come. Isn't that, isn't that funny? Some of us are still waiting for the days of Ezekiel. The days of Elijah. No, I don't want Elijah's day. I don't want Ezekiel's day. I want Jesus' day. And it is now. Your songs must change. Because there's no sense in preaching a grace message and singing an unbelief song. You, you just cancel out your message. And then the prayer is the worst one. You can tell when we open our mouth. You are still commanding fire to come on your enemies. In fact, I want to see you are not even saved. You cannot find that in, in Jesus, in grace. Inside it says, love your enemies. But you are commanding them to die. 
for their hand to be cut off, their leg to be cut off. You are doing gymnastics. You are rolling on the floor. You are giving the devil a karate. As if it's by mind or by power. It has to change. Listen, I had to relearn this. Listen, what I'm telling you, I had to relearn it. Because, we, because those prayers, for some reason, it gets us all riled up. Pumped up. You think we're really doing something when you're praying all these terrible prayers on your enemies. The fire of the Holy Ghost. I mean, is there something about it that makes you, just makes you feel like you're really, you really anointed now. And you're praying ignorance. That's what it is. There are ministries of build serious wealth on this false doctrine. Because Africans are needy people who believe in superstition. And so whatever's happened to you, somebody's told you it's your grandmother, your father's wife, your uncle, your sister is a witch, is a wizard, and therefore you need to destroy their head. And somehow that resonates with you and you really think you need to... It's nonsense. It's nonsense. You need to be delivered. It's nonsense. Jesus is more powerful than all of that. And the greatest manifestation of God's power is his love. That's why I said to you, love your enemies. Ah. I think it was James that went to Jesus and said, ah, some of those guys are there. They're casting out devils. They're they are doing something, and they're not part of us. Shall I call fire to come upon them like we did in the days of Elijah? He said, you don't know the spirit that's in you. Because it's not come to destroy men. It's come to save men. So why should I be praying for my enemies to be destroyed? Did I create the enemies? Who made them? God made them. Yeah. So be careful what you open your mouth to say and pray. As bad as Osama bin Laden is, God loves him. He does not love Hitler any less than he loves you. Listen, that's why the love of God surpasses knowledge. You are saying, how can a wicked man like this be loved by God? When you get to heaven, ask him. You have something? Are you going to say something? Oh, okay, I've answered. Okay, good. All right. Praise God. So I said this earlier that this message was the completion of the gospel to the church. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 1 to 3 and Colossians 1 25. In particular Colossians 1 25. You really need to take attention, pay attention to that scripture. Especially in those translations I gave you. Paul's message was the completion of the gospel. Number two. His message was faith in the finished work of Christ. His message doesn't contradict Jesus, but was an extension of Jesus' message. For instance, how to be born again, forgiveness, walking in the spirit, identity, gifts of the spirit. There are many things Jesus, Paul told us that we will not read anywhere else. The gifts of the spirit, you will not read it anywhere else but in Paul. The issue of our identity, you will not read it anywhere else but in Paul. 
walking in the spirit. And this is the reason many of, the, many of us in the church are weak and not having victory because we've not really studied these things because we don't pay attention to it. Number three, and this is the real uh, meat of the message. The book of Galatians addresses three major themes. Namely, law versus grace. And that's the foundation of your faith. The flesh versus the spirit. That's the power of your faith. Or lack thereof, actually. And then the issue of bondage versus freedom. When you get the grace message down, you operate in the power of the spirit, the result is freedom. That's the effect. Freedom. When, I, when we use the word freedom, not freedom to sin, but freedom to love. Freedom to love. In the way God created for you, you and I to be. You know, we are, we, are, we, are, we are relational beings. We are created for relationships. Uh, but many of us are handicapped in being able to relate because of our lack of understanding and because of the law itself. Amen? Amen. All right. So now, Paul's use of the word grace. Grace was a greeting and a farewell in all of Paul's letters. He used this word about 80 times plus and seven times in this, passage, in this uh, book alone. What Paul said about God's grace. God's grace leads to the peace, to peace for its recipients. So, the, so this is the point. This is what I'm making here. Peace is the restoration to relational closeness by resolving the root cause of alienation. In other words, the end result or the end goal of everything Jesus is peace with God. Alienation is been removed. Conflict is been removed. We are at peace. We are in a place of flourishing. Grace, however, is a free gift offered to people who don't deserve it. Paul was a poster child of the grace of God. By that I mean because of what he experienced, because of what he went through, he became the champion of grace, if you speak, if you, if you will. For Paul, it was not just an intellectual debate as we're having here today. See, you and, my, you and I were arguing, can you be saved, can you be lost? We, we, we have a debate. But Paul, he, 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 Paul didn't have to go, go through that. It's a reality. I mean, come on. Look at, the, look at his conversion. We talked about that earlier. When was Paul born again? When did he go through your three steps in your churches to be born again? Okay, let me put it this way. If Paul was in our congregation, many of us would still say he's an unbeliever. Because he's not answered the outer call as we do it. He's not confessed his sin and the sins of his father, of his mother, of his grand. He's not confessed all of that. Do you see the bondage we're in? He didn't go through none of that. And God said, I'm going to use him. <laughs> Not only is my chosen vessel to bear my name to, to the kings and Israel and to the Gentiles. That should challenge your thinking a little bit. Now, grace motivates its recipients to praise him. 
So as you read Paul, especially when he begins to greet at the beginning, he's always talking about the, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. Why? Because grace will always move upon you to just give thanks to God. Under grace, the most powerful prayer you pray is the prayer of thanksgiving. Because you are thanking him for what he has done. Now, grace is about what God does for us. It's listed here. We are rescued, we are accepted, we are justified, and we are adopted. Law versus grace. This is the question. How do you relate to God? I think for most of us, we will not argue that we are saved by faith. We are saved by grace through faith. I think most people will accept that, at least the salvation part. The questions arise as to what do you do beyond post-salvation, post-being redeemed, what do you do? How do you live? Many people will say, okay, to be born again, yeah. By, it's by grace. I didn't do anything to earn it. Yeah, God gave it to me freely. Good, that's true. But well, if you can answer it like that, then the other part is the same. You don't get saved by grace and start living by the law. If the law could not save you, then law cannot keep you. That's the problem. Law never saved anybody. It was not intended to save you. It was intended to expose you. So that in and through that explosion, God can save you. Amen? Amen? So under the law, we have the performance principle. And that's what we were saying earlier by saying you don't teach the three steps to this and the four steps to that. Number one, you get what you earn. That's what the law says. You do this, you get this. And by the way, that was the way it was under the Old Testament. Okay? You obey me, I bless you. You disobey me, I curse you. Ah, okay, let, let, let me touch a sacred cow. I'm glad we are there. Let me just touch this. Are you still receiving tithes with the threat of a curse? Because if you are, you are seriously under the law. Ah, good. I'm going to come here for a minute. It's very quiet now. Are you telling people that if they don't pay tithe, they are under a curse? Because if you are saying that, you are wrong. Because in a couple of chapters, we're going to read in Galatians chapter 3, where the Bible says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. So how am I going to place anybody under a curse where they are redeemed from it? Who do re mi la ti Pastors don't like this at all when I start saying this. <laughs> they are counting their offering in their head as they are sitting down here. <laughs> yeah, but that is wrong. That was under the law. How are you going to put people in curse that God has blessed? Go and ask Balaam. Hey, Balak, I hired him. Come and curse this people for me. Come, this is money. Come and help me because this is realized, please. With bags of money. The guy, he tried to pronounce cause. God got into his mouth. <laughs> and blessings came out. Ah, the king said, I paid you to curse them. 
Because uh, whoever God has blessed, no man can curse them. And you and I have the audacity to sit in and want to receive offering and say to them, if you don't, if you don't pay your tithe, a serpent will come through your wall and bite you. No! Absolutely not. Nothing will bite them. They will not pay the tithe and they're still blessed. Ooh, you don't like that. Ma, 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 ma. Because their blessing is no longer subject to what they do. Bishop, smile to me now. Ah. <laughs> if nobody else will smile, at least give me a smile, I beg you. <laughs> you see, as pastors, we shortchange ourselves. And we shortchange the people of God. If we teach the people correctly, they give you a lot more than 10%. A lot more. But I won't share it here. Because I don't want to share that with you here now. Just so you can go and extort money from them. No, you're not ready. You're not ready. I'm saying to you what Jesus said in John 16. I have many more things to say to you, but you are not able to bear it. If I say it to you now, you receive it for the wrong reasons. No. But I'm saying to you with authority. You cannot curse whom God has blessed. You can't. Because where does it end? Where is, where, where is the end of it? If you don't touch, you are, you are cursed. If you don't attend church on Sunday, you are cursed. If you don't fast, you are cursed. If you don't do... Where is the end? Where does it stop? Where does the manipulation stop? How can we say everything else is under the law, but the tithing is not under the law? Where is the integrity? I cannot offer total dose. Bullocks or rams anymore because that's under the law. But this title, ah, oh, you must you must be title, and it's in the same Old Testament. So we are not selective in which law you perform under grace, because one favors us better than the others. Okay, are you all right? <laughs> Hallelujah. Are you guys still with me? Yeah. Ah, okay. The yes is very low now. <laughs> I touch your money, so now you, you, <laughs> you guys, you, you guys, okay, you don't know. Okay, no problem. But the law says you get what you earn. And do you know what? The, one of the reasons for which we, we, we should get away from this, it is the universal, this principle of the law of performance is universal in most world religions. Islam. You have to do to appease God. Allah. Buddhist. Oh, it's big time. It's big time. Hinduism. Buddhism. Big time. Big time. So if we are going to be Christians and distinct, we can be like them. And then trying to win them to us. What would be the difference? And then there are, of course, there are false hopes of the performance principle. What are the false hopes? The false hope says you can satisfy God by works. That was the problem of the, of the older son in Luke 15. Do you remember the story that I just told you about the scandalous love of God? In Luke 15, the older son came home, heard the music, and was annoyed. Oh my God. Religion was annoyed. There was partying and fun and laughter taking place in the house. He would not go in. 
I've not heard music in my father's house all these years. What is that? As daddy backsliding, he refused to go in. Look at the largeness of the father's heart. And for you to really appreciate this, you must understand the culture. First, the father ran to meet the younger brother. They don't do that. But he did so to defect the attention from the erring son. Because the community will see him walking back. Ah, look at this boy. He's finally coming back home. This stupid boy. So by running to the boy, he took the defection of all the nonsense that was spoken about the boy. Likewise, the older brother that would not come in, in that culture, you don't leave your party to go outside. But the father got a wind that the boy was back, but would not come in because he's annoyed. And he went outside to him. Didn't Jesus tell us that no one can come to the father except for the father dress him? We did not seek God. He sought us. And that's what you see him doing in, those in both instances. He saw the younger brother by going to run to meet him. And the elder brother that won't come in, he went out to meet him. And what was the discussion? Papa, what are you doing? Oh, your brother who was lost is found. He's back home. And with that, we should marry and give him a party. What? How about me? Hear what he said. I've been working for you all these years. I have not once broke one of your commandments. You've never given me a party. Ah, okay. You qualify. You are certified. I just certified him. I just made him great certified. <laughs> no, seriously. He's Trump card to his father was his self-righteousness. I have served you all these years. This is my credentials. Nine hours a day. Twenty hours a week. 20, I mean, he was giving the man his credentials for which he qualified for a favor or a party. Work consciousness. My work made me deserving of your blessing. That's what they were saying. And the father said to him, ah, what a wrong theology. All these years that you've been with me, everything I have belonged to you. You didn't know that? How many of you having children? Food in your house. And your son or your daughter wants to drink water. They have to come and take your permission to go to the food to get the water. Maybe I should not ask that question. Many of you here may be tyrants. You may be like that. A son or a child that has confidence in who they are and they love their parents, don't ask those questions. They go to the refrigerator, get what they want, and eat it. Straight. No questions asked. So law says you have to perform to get something. And then the law says God gives us on the curve. The more you do, the more you get. That's not true. And then law, of course, also says that your performance is God's main concern. That's not true. So you've got to be careful. Now, I raised this issue at the beginning. How can my works fail to have an effect on my ultimate destiny? That's the first elephant I told you about in the room. Are you saying it doesn't matter how I live? Grace must be unfair and offensive because that means any old sin I can get in at the last minute. Yeah, that's true. And Jesus 
told us a parable. I won't read it, but Matthew chapter 20. Let me know when one eye is up. I, don't, I have no idea of time. Seven. Just seven minutes. Ah, I'm under the law now. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Look at the story in Matthew chapter 20. Verses 1 through 15. I will not read all of it because it's too much stuff to read. And this is supposed to help us to understand how grace works. Really, maybe, maybe somebody can read it quickly. Can someone read it? Wait, wait, wait. Which, what, what are you reading? Okay. Okay, yeah. Okay, read from there. Just read on. All right. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, I will give you. And they went their way. Verse 5, again, he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did likewise. And, where about, and about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said unto them, Why stand ye here all day idle? They said unto him, Because no man hired us. He said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard said unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, <laughs> and they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house, saying, This last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and eat of the day. But when he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Take that thine ease and go thy way. I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is this I evil because I am good? Amen. That's, that explains our problem. Those of us who are born again, living right, honoring God, reverencing God, if you are not grace certified, you look down upon those who are struggling. And you are saying, why would they deserve the same kind of treatment from God as I, who has paid all this price? That's what happened in this story. The people who were hired first, obviously under the law, expected to be paid more than the guy that was hired at the 11th hour. But the point of the story is, when he hired each person, the first man, the second man, the third, the one, and the left, he promised them the exact same thing. So at the end of the day, when he paid them the same thing, those guys who were hired first were complaining and murmuring. They said to them, wait a minute, did I shortchange change you? Did I promise you one penny? Yes. Did I pay you one penny? Yes. So what's your business what I pay this guy? Why are you concerned about what I paid him? The deal I made with you, I kept. Did I keep it? Yes. What's your business how I deal with him? That's our problem. 
You are born again. You are fasting. You are praying. You are fearing God. And you say, this guy is careless. He's lying. He's fornicating. He's drinking. He has no right to the same heaven I'm going. The only problem is you didn't own heaven. You are not a landlord. He has the right to accept anyone he chooses. Not your own choice. That's our problem. So yes, grace is unfair. It is unfair. And you need to thank God it's unfair. Because if it's not unfair, Jesus won't have to go to the cross. You will be on the cross now instead of him. Now see how much you like that. By a show of hands, how many of you like to go to the cross? <laughs> no. We don't want to go. So grace is unfair. You must under Yeah, it's true. Let's put that on the table. Grace is not fair. Because a hardened sinner who lives a terrible life, according to my definition, the definition, they're on their dying bed. They barely say, I believe. <laughs> and they close their eyes, they go straight to heaven. And you are saying, man, I gave this up, I gave that up, I gave that up. Gulda, Heineken, all of that. I stopped drinking all of that stuff. I don't smoke Marlboro anymore. Whoa! And you are what? You see, the rewards that God gave us is a different thing. There are rewards that come beyond this life at the judgment seat of Christ. That is a totally different story. But going to heaven is a different story. I don't put them together. That's where we get confused. There are rewards for your service in the earth. God has... Paul talks about that. See, this, that's what I'm telling you about this, Paul. It's too much. He's the, he's the only one that told us about it. And he made it clear that that judgment seat is not a matter of heaven or how, whether you're going to heaven or you're lost. No. It's a matter of what did you do with what God gave you and the rewards that come along with that. So when we are arguing about this man that just lived a careless life and made heaven, no, don't misunderstand that to say that that means that God will not understand your commitment and your devotion in the earth. It's not the same thing. Do you understand that distinction? Yes, Amen. Ma'am, I'm waiting. If you don't tell me about time, I'm, I'm just... Huh? My time is over. Okay, let, let, let me just use two minutes to just finish this page and then we come up on page 14. Responding to the legalist objection. Do we understand what's at stake with legalistic justification? Do we understand the balance of justice or sliding scale? The broken chain? And the issue is we should thank God that grace is not fair. This, this is the point. James chapter 2 verse 10 makes it clear. James 2.10. Can anybody read that for me very quickly? James 2.10. James 2.10. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Just read it so everybody can hear it. Mm -hmm. In one point, mm -hmm. he is guilty of all. Do you see that? Do you see the fallacy? I'm happy. Law, 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 law. Obedience, obedience. So if you obey all of it, and you miss in one. The Bible says you are guilty of all of it. So who, who, who can pass that threshold? Nobody. Nobody. Like my friend said earlier, it's like poison. Poison is usually made up of 99.999% good stuff. The point zero 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 one poison in that thing is what kills the person. So the issue is this. You, are, you may be good, you don't fornicate, you don't commit adultery, you don't lie, you don't murder. Ah, but you have bitterness. It has negated the rest. So God says, just leave it all alone. Because if you are going to try to live in the kingdom of God based on what you can perform or do, 
you will always come short. The Bible says, there's none good, no, not one. Remember I said to you earlier, there are two kinds of works. Dead works and good works. Dead works are works that I'm engaged in because I want to get the blessing of God. I want to get the favor of God. But the good works are the things that God motivates me to do by the power of his grace working in me. So Paul was saying there, yes, he worked hard. He was a very hard-working apostle. But he also made it clear that it's not him working, but that the grace of God was working in him. That's the difference. And when the grace of God is working in you, you don't get tired. When the grace of God is working in you, you don't get burned out. You've heard of ministers. They walk, 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 and they just burn out. They have to take a sabbatical. Now, I'm not saying that in a denigrating way. Please hear me. Because there are things that happen in us that for some reason uh, we need that. But I'm saying when you're in your flow and you're not doing things beyond what God asks you to do, you'll be amazed. Okay, people travel with me all the time. They go with me to Asia. And we come back home and say, Pastor, we don't know how you do this. They tell me that all the time. We, we don't know how you can do this. I just smile. It's not me. It's the grace of God upon my life that's doing it. When Vietnam, in March, in a group like this, and the pastor said to me, ah, no, 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 please, when you come back again, I need to feel it, the stadium. We, I need to get 2,000 pastors to hear what you're saying. I said to him, no. Now, this, this, this true story. I said to him, no, I'm sent to you. Now, you go to those 2,000. That's what I told him. Why? Because I understand my mission. And as long as I stay within that mission, God will not only keep me, his flow will be on me. Ah, I can feel the stadium. Oh, next time you come. I see I should be impressed by the number. Now, there's nothing wrong with the number. Please understand me. There's a place for 2,000, 5,000. There's a place for that. But make sure that that's what God called you to do. That's all I'm saying. I said to him, I'm an equiper. I've come to facilitate, to build you, to equip you, so you can go and do the work. That's why we're just this many in this room now. Ah, Pastor Lekron is here. In Lagos, all the time, they ah, well, let's go to a conference. I told them, I'm not doing it. I used to, but I'm, 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 I'm not doing it again. You see, am I talking? They've talked to me over and over. Let's do a big, oh God, this is a hard, this is a chairman. Is it, is <laughs> let's do this guy. I said, no, I'm not. I'm only interested in preaching my son's churches or doing meetings like this. That's it. That's the season that I am in in my life. And please hear me correctly. I'm not saying it's wrong to do those things. There's a place to fill the stadium. There's a place to fill the auditoriums. Absolutely. And if that's your grace, do it. But just to Bishop's question, the only thing that thrills me, fulfills me, rewards me, is to be with my sons and to be in settings like this. Anything else, I'm not interested. That's the truth. I don't care if you brought me ten zillion dollars. I don't. I, I'm not interested. That's just where I am. Amen. Does that answer your question? Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Praise God. Praise. You cannot do anything beyond what you've done. You reach out to him, you love him, and just keep praying for him as God brings him to your heart. It's not on you. The Bible says, as long as within you, live peaceably with all men. Okay? So that's what you've done. 
you've, you've reached out, it's up to him to respond. You cannot make him respond. Only God can do that. But at least the point is, he needs to know that, hey, listen, if you ever change your mind, I'm here. That's it. That's all you can do. Amen? Break time. Thank you for listening to this message. You can reach Pastor Bank on Facebook at Pastor Bank Akimola, on Instagram at Bank Akimola, on Twitter at Pastor Bank. Stay blessed. So we can overflow with purpose in mind. You say to us.